0: Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. powerful thing because although it's not fully here, it's partially here and uh, one of the ways that the kingdom uh, practically comes in a sneak preview or I would say a, a, a trailer ways is through lives of changed people and those changed lives make their way into the world. They gather with each other in places like this but then after that we go into the world and we use our gifts and our talents and our presence in the world as, as as a sign of the kingdom, having had been here. That's why Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It can be translated within your grasp. In other words, it, it's here in a, in a sense. And so your life should be showing a victorious life that Christ is able to bring victory in people's lives. The way you do business should reflect kingdom work. Amen. The way you teach, if you're a teacher, should reflect the kingdom. If you manage money, it should reflect the kingdom. If you're a counselor, if, if, if you're a nutritionist, if you're a doctor, a nurse, if you sweep a floor, no matter what you do, it should reflect the kingdom, and someone should see something different in your life just because the kingdom showed up in you. Somebody say, kingdom, show up in me yeah 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 so so as you think about that that's mind transformative that you you and i are a royal priesthood so so he gave us dual roles we're we're we're, we're royalty and, and we're part of the kingdom but we're priests priests uh represent uh god to people and so don't ever forget that that's one of your big roles in the kingdom as a royal priesthood. Gather together with believers, but also taking personal responsibility. Somebody say personal responsibility. Personal responsibility to honor the Lord. When well, I'm wearing my new manity shirt today, and I'm excited for the retreat coming up. You don't want to miss it. One of the things we want to do is we, we, we value our sisters. We love our sisters, and we see a lot of great things going on in our, with our sisters. But one of the things we also want to do in, in addition to that is really emphasize the building up and bringing in of more men into the body of Christ. Somebody ought to shout about that. Now, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by that? Most churches are about 80% women, 20% men. Um, 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 so, 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 so don't think I'm trying to objectify anybody or be a misogynist and sending me email about he focusing on, you know, men. See, that's that patriarchal stuff in the church that I was talking about then. You asked for a counseling session about getting a husband. So, hey um, to the men. And so you ain't got to say men. I'll do it for you. And so, but, but we're not bringing men here just to be uh, potential spouses. We're bringing them here because God wants men to be saved. Amen. Amen. Now the other stuff will come with it. Somebody say amen real loud. Amen. 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 The sister said amen real loud on that one. All praise the living God. Well, let's stand to our feet. Let's stand to our feet as we are continuing. Y'all think this series has been too long? Oh, oh, okay. My bad. I, I don't want no trouble. I don't want no trouble. I don't want no trouble. Um, we, we are still in it. We're going to be on this until I get to sabbatical. I have some other things that I believe God wanted us to work through. Somebody say work through. That I want us to work through biblically um, because as we grow as a church, one of the things I want us to be more and more is biblically informed and practically powerful. Um, and so when we talk about biblical, biblically informed, we're talking about thinking Christianly, having a Christian worldview and everything, and particularly in this area of life. So today we're in Psalm 51. Psalm 51, Psalm 51, we'll read uh, to the 13th verse, I want you to not go beyond that, we'll read to the 13th verse, um, starting 1, 2, 3, go. Amen. Amen. It's all good. Y'all want to read the word. There's nothing wrong with that. I want to talk today in our time together about confession and repentance as spiritual warfare. Confession and repentance as, listen to this today, is spiritual warfare. Let's go before the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your loving kindness that knows no end. And God, we get to experience your grace your mercy in very, very significant ways, um, because I I just think that it's so important for us to realize, Lord God, that you're not done with us, and that you're not being done with us. Some of the greatest fighting happens on the heart level, and so God, I pray that you would break yokes today. I- I'm believing you and I'm trusting in faith that there's some exposed areas, un- unexposed areas of people's lives that you're going to expose today, that you're going to challenge today, that you're going to transform today. Somebody's going to be free today, Lord God. Somebody's going to see something differently today, Lord God. We're trusting you that you're going to break bondages and and, and and take scales off our eyes, Lord God, and and, and the enemy in different areas of their life is going to automatically be excavated just because of your breaking of this in their life. And and bringing them to a deep realization of our need for you. So let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen, amen, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Confession and repentance as spiritual warfare. Um, as we think about and continue in our series and we're in the prayer uh, section of our series, it made me think of. It made me think of uh, one time my, my computer just kept dying fast. I would I would charge it, and this is supposed to be some special computer, especially as much as it costs. It should, you know, last for two weeks or something. Some of these computers, I don't understand. You, you know, it, it, shoot, money, right? You know, and so um, so the battery life kept going down. And so I ended up taking it in to the specialist for them to, they said, bring it in, we'll look at your computer. And they looked at my computer. And they said, well, we check your battery. There's nothing wrong with your battery. I'm like, well, why does the battery keep dying? They said, well, when we opened your computer, you had a lot of open stuff. And they said, these things that you have opened up, even though you're not using them, they're running in the background. And what they're doing is because you have them open and you didn't close them, they're pulling on your battery life while you're trying to do one thing and to maximize what you're trying to do. You can't get out of it what you want to get out of it because you got too much stuff open. But if you would close those things up and work on this, you'll be able to go forward in what you're trying to create and build and develop. And I believe our lives as Christians is the same way. We have a lot of programs running in the background of our life that has been affecting our effectiveness for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, the, and and I would say these aren't good programs, these are bad programs. And these bad programs in our life have been so affecting us and we we were trying to work on one thing and wonder why we can't go forward in life in different ways. That That's because those things that are in the background are operating and destroying us in ways that we didn't even know that it was destroying us and we're not able to move like God is wanting us to move. So we look at this idea of of what we're talking about today and talking through the, the glorious reality of confession and repentance. Let me let me let me explain something to you. Don't get scared of those two words. <laughs> Usually most that's the least, that's that's probably the least thing that most of us do in prayer, if we do pray, is is, is we spend very little time zoom lensing in on confession and repentance. Uh, 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 um, However, if you understood two things, uh, I want you to repeat after me. Indwelling sin sin. and the noetic effects of sin. Indwelling sin, Paul talks about in Romans chapter 7, verse 21, and its effects on, even though you're saved, it still is having effects on you because you have a body and fleshliness dwells in it, and so it's open to sinfulness. Are you tracking with me? Noetic effects of sin is a a, a two-cent theological term that just means that the effects that sin has on the mind, intellect, and reasoning of the believer. Now, those those things are very, very important as we begin to think through and work through this idea uh, 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 of dealing with sin. Because we don't realize, listen, listen to me, is that when you have sinful lifestyles, Those are mechanisms that the enemy can use to hijack on to get into your life in very deep and distinct ways. Now someone's looking at me like I'm crazy. I want to give you a hope verse first. Because look at verse, not not in John 51, James chapter 4. Verse seven says something interesting. This blew my mind, and I never looked at it like this. I've always looked at this verse as sometimes spiritual warfare, but I didn't read around it. Somebody said, "Read around it." You can't just you can't just read a verse and not realize what context it's in. James chapter four, verse seven says, "Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you." Stop right there. Now we 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 think resistance is merely talking to Satan. But the text here does not say anything about talking. When you look at how you draw near, it's like this <clears throat> when you resist Satan, you draw near to God. When you're drawing near to God, you're automatically resisting Satan. So, so 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 stay with me now. This is very, very important. Now he gives you the ways in which you resist in the verse. This is why it's gonna lead us into Psalm 51, which is a functional case study on what it looks like to resist the enemy through confession and repentance. Look at what it says here it says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Uh oh, we don't like them verses. Purify your hearts, you double minded. Be miserable. And mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That sounds like confession and repentance to me. <clears throat> so when we look at that, how, how do we, why, why would it say be gloomy? What, you know, people say God has a plan for your life and you should feel better and we should feel better. We, sometimes you should feel heavy when you leave the gathering of the saints. You shouldn't, are y'all still struggling with me? You should not always feel like so powerful. Sometimes you need to feel powerless. Now, Now, I know this is antithetical to the theological framework that we're in, but you don't understand the way the kingdom works. The kingdom doesn't work through you feeling powerful. Doesn't work that way. It, 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 it works through you understanding how weak you are and realizing how powerful he is. Yes. Therefore, you become powerful because of your weakness, not because you're trying to bolster yourself up in some triumphalistic philosophy that will kind of help you fight through life. There's been a lot. And so we, we come here to this passage and I think it is a glorious passage. Um, it's cousin passage is Psalm 34. You don't have to turn there. And this passage is written <coughs> because we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. <laughs> How do I know? Because the person at risk, that, that, that wrote this <coughs> failed. David wrote this after his fall in 2 Samuel 11. Uh, My man was hanging out. He said it was supposed to be the time for the kings. My man had on his little robe. He came out on the terrace in center city, Jerusalem, and he looked out. (laughs) And someone was bathing, and he started eyeballing, shorty. Instead of going back in the crib of the kingdom, he began to visually creep. (laughs) Got to bring it down to earth for us. And he used his power to manipulate and get her in there, have sex with her, and then later on commits murder because she gets pregnant. Lies, so he's worthy of two levels of death. First off, you should if you commit adultery, back in the Bible, you're supposed to die. That's number one. Number two, <coughs> when he committed murder, he should have been murdered because he set her husband up who loved him. Then he lied about it and then involved People, his subjects within it. And so now what happened is is is, is God gives him grace, told him the sword would never depart, but you see, but you're gonna see, and we'll talk about what he said afterwards in the practical section. What's interesting is here, this is his ode to repentance. He's writing a song about his desire for renewal because of how bad he knew he messed up. And, 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 if, and, if you, and, you, and when you read Psalm 51, one of the things you can't ignore is, is how clear, how deep, and how committed he was to confessing what he did. Let me say that again. <clears throat> confessing what he did, but turning from it. Because a lot of people want to confess stuff, but nobody want to repent of nothing. In other words, we like to acknowledge that we were wrong, but we don't want to have our wrong turn into right. And so so here, David walks us through this beautiful soliloquy. I got three points today, a lot of notes. I'm not going to go over everything because we're not going to get through it. I just wrote everything that came to the textual mind. First thing, if you're going to deal with confession and repentance as spiritual warfare, number one, you have to lean into God's character. (laughs) You have to lean into God's character. Look at what David says. He says, be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Wow. (laughs) So he knew, one of the things that I like about this is it's almost inferentially, he understands a lot about God even though he was deeply in sin. (laughs) <laughs> that means, he's he using heavy words, he's using, the word there for, for faithful love is the word chesed. Somebody say chesed. Chesed is the Hebrew word that means loyal love. It's the... It's, it's the Old Testament word for grace and mercy, kind of put into one word that's untranslatable, but we have to create words like the King James said, loving kindness. And it tried to create a word, the, the King James translators, <clears throat> to express the beauty and glory of this word. Nobody tells me several things. Number one, it tells me that it's possibly to be theologically astute and be practically bad. It, it, you can know all the Hebrew and Greek words if you want to. And he knew. <clears throat> his theology, and he knew things about God. <laughs> but sin forces you, if you are a believer, to actually deal with what you know in a way that's transformative just as versus informative. <laughs> because you don't just need an informative spiritual life, you need a transformative spiritual life. So when you look here in this text and you see him saying, <clears throat> be gracious to me, he's, he's, like, he's like God. I got a feeling you haven't given up on me. In, in, in other words, reaching out to God and, 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 and dealing with his character, he, he says everything in this text based on the perfections or attributes of God. That's beautiful. In other words, because he knew what God was like, he knew what to ask God for. In other words, he wasn't just blurting out ignorant sayings. Because what did they say in Israel when Jonah was out there and they said, who are you, who are your people, and where are you from? He says, well, I, uh, uh, I'm a Hebrew, I'm from <clears throat> the land of Israel, and I serve the Lord God of heaven and earth. He's gracious, uh, slow, abundant in loving kindness, and slow to anger. And, you know, they had this saying that they would give out when somebody said, where are you from? They had to include God in their nationality. <laughs> That's another sermon. <clears throat> but what's beautiful here, what's beautiful here in the passage is you see A deep sense of David's commitment to say, man, I want to throw myself on the mercy of God. He says, according to your abundant compassion. He says, as bad as my stuff is, you have enough grace for it. As messed up as I am and as all over the place as my life is. And as brokenness, and I know I have absolutely made a tornado out of my life. I don't know if you ever, maybe I'm by myself. Have you ever felt like you have absolutely made an unadulterated, dirty, trifling, left field of the kingdom tornado of your life, and you were wondering whether God would ever embrace you again? One of the things that you as a believer, (laughs) based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, need to recognize is we talk about this, and I keep saying this during the series. It's interesting that Hebrew says, boldly come before, before the throne of grace to find mercy in a time of need. The throne of grace was created for you so that you, would, you, would, you wouldn't just come when you felt good, but when you felt bad. That's why it's called the throne of grace. To find mercy. It didn't say to find your come up, to find your turn up. It said to come find mercy and grace in the time of need. So David is taking advantage of this. And I like that he's taking advantage of it. I'm, I'm telling you right now, me as, when, I, when I was growing up and I knew I did something, I had absolutely no business. I, I, I didn't feel like my dad was a throne of grace. <laughs> um, if my mama ever said, wait till your dad get home, uh, I would just go up in my room, close the door and kind of get under the covers, you know, (laughs) because I didn't I didn't I didn't I didn't know. Usually when she said that thunder and lightning was going to visit the household that day. But it's interesting with God, even though God is a God of discipline, we're very, very clear on the well-rounded way in which he deals with us. God deals with you in a very well-rounded way because he wants you to be new, he wants you to be changed, and he wants you to be set free, and he wants you to be delivered. And so when we look at throwing yourself on the character of God, when you're dealing with spiritual warfare in your life, because the greatest level of spiritual warfare in your life is not the stuff you deal with on the outside of you, a shadow walking down the hall, some slip sitting on you when you're sleeping, you know, um, I heard a noise in a creek, that's, that's minor stuff. That's minor. The, stuff, the greatest level of spiritual warfare is the stuff your soul allows the enemy to access to destroy your life. And if you, if you and I don't throw ourselves on the character of God, the character of God is the motivating factor to get you seeing that he's able to deal with the dirtiest, darkest mess in your life. But most of us run from the presence of God versus running towards the presence of God. Psalm 51 is an invitation it's an invitation that says, now how many of y'all murdered somebody? Don't hold your hand up. <laughs> this is rhetorical. <clears throat> well, most of us have because we've used our mouths to murder people. Uh-oh. True law principle, right? Many of us ever got somebody set up and lied on? Like, David has done something so deep to me that I'm just like, <laughs> I'm looking at David crazy because I'm like, the way God blessed you Doesn't match the way you're acting. (laughs) Which lets you know blessing by itself isn't a motivation for righteousness. (laughs) It's not. (laughs) So when you recognize and realize that if God blessed me, my life would be no, 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 no. In the raw state of your life with the nothingness that you have, who you are is who you'll be, if not worse, if he blessed you. And so when we look at the glorious beauty in this passage, as he begins to walk through the character of God, he talks about his covenant loyalty, but I I like the way he says, blot out my rebellion. He calls it what it is. He didn't call it a bad day. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't say I had some slip ups. (laughs) He didn't say I'm only human. He called it rebellion. (laughs) One of the, one of the biggest things in your life is you got to call your sin what it is. When you, you, you can't talk around your sin. You got to talk about exactly what it is. And see, and see, that's why we in the church, one of the biggest things that we should be talking about is our sin. Because the more you deal with your sin, the more you can break out of what you're in for the gospel of Christ to deal deeply with your life in order for you to be changed. He says, completely wash away my guilt and cleanse me from any sin. And so he's looking for cleansing. We'll talk about this in the next point. But as he throws himself <clears throat> on the character of God, one of the things that he knows that God specializes in is, is getting rid of sin. That's a, part of, that's a big part of God's character is dealing with and getting rid of sin. If, 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 I, listen, I, I had a dry cleaners I was taking my stuff to. And, you know, I, I, you know, if I had a little suede patch on something, they, they, they tear the garment up. Matter of fact, I would get my stuff back and the spot on it that I asked them to get out would still be on it. So guess what? I wasn't confident in that cleaners anymore. So I took it to another cleaners that was able to deal with the spots that I would asked them to get out. See, God is the best cleaners in the universe because God is the place you can go and you don't have to worry about not having the satisfaction of having exactly what you pointed out dealt with. Um, but then secondly, Pursue holiness by coming clean about everything. <laughs> Pursue holiness by coming clean about everything. Okay? Look at what he says. <laughs> he said, for I am conscious of my rebellion, and my sin is always before me. This is, this is a little bit of something, something here, right? <laughs> because what we see in this passage right here now is David beginning the process of letting God know that he knows how bad it is, okay? In other words, he says, for I am conscious of my sin. Old translation said, uh, I, I know my sin. The word for conscious here or know here is the word yadah, somebody say yadah. That's the, that's the, that's the Hebrew word which means to, it, it, it has sexual connotations in some contexts. it has a, a, a deep knowledge of somebody knowing something, it's even used, by Jeremiah and Jeremiah 1, 3, when he says, before, God says to him, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. What is that? I, I died you. In other words, what is he saying there? He says, I was intimately knowledgeable of you before you ever existed. In other words, I was thinking about you before you existed. David's use of this here is to let you know how deep he knew he was in his sin. That means that, that, that David says, says, I know what my sin did to me, and listen, I know what my sin did for others. Wow. Wow. Let, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me explain something to you real quick. One of the things that you have to be careful of when you sin, because we know how to tell other people what they should do when they sin, and what, could a, what, what does apology look like, and what you, you don't know what it did to me. We, we, know how to, we know how to really, really help everybody out when it comes to their mess. When it comes to our mess, the hardy effects of sin based on Hebrews 3.13 affects our ability to see it as clearly as we need to see it and to deal with it in a way that's, that's why you need to. Somebody said, well, I, I, don't, I don't receive my, you know, that I was doing that and I, I rebuked the devil and like, no, you need to know what you did exactly. That means some, somebody, nobody gets to, you don't get to hurt somebody and then prescribe what repentance in your eyes looks like to them. Because many of us don't know the pandemic effect our sin has had on other people and and guess what the enemy uses The enemy can get the thing over with really really quickly if we confess and repent of the sin The problem is is when you sin then you sin by by under confessing Because when you under confess You don't give a person freedom from the offense in a way that lets them know that you understood how your sin affected them. Wow. Hear me today. Yes. If somebody was molested and your molester just came around, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that, ha- that happened, I didn't mean to do it. Like, what do you mean you didn't mean to do it? Right. You're, you're wilding right now. And see, right now, you're making me thinking crazy thoughts now, right? Because I want to do something to you now. See, so stop the other person from sinning by you admitting what you did. If someone rapes somebody, if someone's a molester, you come to them and say, you you spill everything out with the mediator, of course, Jesus help us. And lay those sins out. If someone sinned against you in a relationship in another way, there has to be very, very specific things that you do. One of the things in marriage I'm learning is my wife want to know that I get what I did to her. She's like, did you get it? Like I was saying, babe, let's move on. You know what I'm saying? We can go on a date, let's light some candles. No, she said no candles are gonna be litting. <laughs> <laughs> because she wants to know, did I understand what I did to her and how it affected her? in order that I can in some way empath, she has to, the only way she knows that I repented is if I empathize with what she communicated with me in a way where I'm broken about her brokenness. See, see when you deal with this idea of I know my sin and and it's ever before me and I'm conscious of my sin. That that, that means that we have to have a deep knowledge of what we did. We have to work through all of the deepness of what we did and it's ever before him, why? Because he sees the effects that it's having on other people. That means that when you sin against somebody, you can't hurry them up to get over it. Okay, I'm by myself. Um, In other words, (coughs) just get over it. When you're doing that, you're wildin'. In other words, you can't, you can't sin against somebody deeply and then, and then rebuke them for not recovering from what you did to them. <laughs> how you are you now the righteous one? This whole thing is happening because of you, right? And so what we have to begin to do is we got to begin to say, take as much time as you need. I know. I, I know that this affected you. As a matter of fact, I got a biblical example of it. David... Joab and them, they were leaving because of Absalom. Absalom came and, you know, he's sackcloth and ashes walking out. He's walking out of Jerusalem. This dude is literally, the Bible says, cussing David out on the side of the road, talking crazy to David. And Joab was like, I got you. I can go ahead and cut Money's head off, have it at your ankles in five seconds, what you need? And David was like, he said, don't unsheave your weapon. Because maybe because of my sin, the Lord's rebuking me. This was way after. This was way after everything that happened. He says, I understand sin can, like, God may have forgiven me of my sin, but the effects of it can follow me and affect people for a long, long time. <laughs> and, 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 so, and, so, and so, but what you do, the way you help others deal in spiritual warfare in that area is acknowledging is acknowledging their brokenness in response to your sin. It's not your job to police their response to your sin. The way some people get free is by you affirming that you were the, big, you were the point person on their brokenness. When that happens, that kind of rocks them, right? And it can, it, can, it can at times turn people. That's why the Bible says, he who confesses and forsakes the matter will find favor, Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen. I got to move. We only do a few verses. And when we see this, and he says his sin is ever before him, we saw that we can see the deep effects of our sin. But look at verse 4. Look at verse 4. This is, this is crazy right here. What he says. He says, now, he's, he, he understands the effects of his sin, but he understands who his sin is ultimately against. Yeah. Now, now look, look, look at what it says here. He says, against you, And you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He's literally sitting. He's not wallowing in sin. Wallowing in sin is when you're just sitting there feeling sorry for yourself and trying to invite a pity party that doesn't involve repentance. In other words, I feel so bad. Let me let somebody make me look at how bad I'm feeling so that they can come in and give me a hug. No, at that point, you don't need a hug. You need some Holy Ghost soul rebuking. Okay, and so right now he said, against you and you alone have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. He said, so this is this, he didn't say, God, you're not fair. What does he say? So you are right when you pass sentence, you are blameless when you judge. Be careful of thinking that your sin deserves less than you got. Because many of us, guess what we think? Well, that wasn't fair, God, because I saw so-and-so over there. Like, God said, I ain't dealing with so-and-so, I'm dealing with you. Right? And when, when, you, begin to, when you begin to subtract, you, like, you, you think nothing we do is a misdemeanor. Like, our government has levels. Like, heaven has consequence levels, but ultimately, all of our sin deserves death. So when you say, well, I, I don't think that matched the crime. Well, you're because you should have been dead at that moment. But God is giving you a lower, when, no matter what you get in this earth, if it's not death, it's a lower sentence. <laughs> and, and, and he said, he says, you're blameless when you judge because he knows the work of that. But one of the things you have to be careful, this is very practical. This is very practical. And what I like about David is when Nathan came to him, he was going off when, when, David, when Nathan told the story. And he said, let's get, get the dude up in here who's treating the sheep like that and took that dude's sheep. And he said, that man is you. First off, this is for free, you need some people in your life. You need some Nathans in your life. You need some people in your life that will tell you how trifling you are. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You need some people. You need some people, listen, you need some people in your life that love you enough to not want you to remain the same. All your cheerleaders aren't your friends. So Nathan Nathan came in, but not only that, I like what David said after that. He didn't say much. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, why is that important? You need to write this down. Proverbs 10 19 says, When words are many, transgressions is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Whenever you sit before somebody and you're supposed to be repenting, and you, let, me, just, let me just tell you what this was and what it wasn't. Now, and you just go through a, a dissertational paragraph like you're trying to pass the bar exam. The Bible says you're sinful. You shouldn't be, if you're arguing about the, the, the contours of the nature of, well, it wasn't really this that I did, but this is what I, like all of that right there, all of that right there is a sign that you ain't repenting. Because whenever you're before the person you've offended and you're trying to justify what you did, I'm just letting you know you're in all kinds of sin. That's why the Bible says when your words are many, sin is all right, right there and present, right? But David very, very quickly just said, I, I've sinned against the Lord. That that, that, that that was it, right? Then verse, verse five. Verse five, he says, he says, indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. In other words, he's saying, at the moment of conception, I was imputed with sin. And what he was saying is, well, if the fall didn't happen, you know, I wouldn't have been in this predicament, you know. Was like, that Adam and Eve thing just messed it up, huh, God, that's not what he's saying, you know. That's not what he's saying. No, what he's saying is, is he said, I know how deep this goes. And he said, my issues is, my issue, this sin, the sin you committed is always deeper than the sin you committed. In other words, what you did in the natural comes deeply from somewhere else. And so he begins wanting to, he begins shifting and wanting to deal with the root of his sinfulness. That, that's what he's saying right here. God, I want, I, I, he's almost dreaming under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Like, is there any way to deal with how sinful this beginning came? I, I mean, there was no Isaiah by the time he came yet. So he was like, I don't even know, you know, I, I know I'm a Messiah, but I don't know what this is. But I was conceived from my mom's womb and sin, at that point. Last point, I'm done. Ask God to perform surgery on you. That's the last point. Ask God to perform surgery on you. Look at what he says. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. This idea of delight is of course the experience to have an emotional experience of delight. In other words, God God delights in certain things in us. And he says you delight in truth. Now truth here isn't merely the word of God, it's stability of soul. So what God wants from us is stability of soul, why? Because particularly in spiritual warfare, if we're not stable of soul, the enemy can come and go crazy in us. So he says, you desire truth in the inward being. He he says, in the deepest places where no one is, you want us to be made whole. That means that you and I in our life have to begin asking God to deal with the deepest places in our life. Because there's some things in your life that are patterns of sin that is not, you, you've, been, you, you've been talking to God about it, you've been, you've been you DNA partners, you've been in life group and all of that, but you haven't dealt with some of the root causes of your issues where there's some things in your life that needs to be uprooted, and that's been the enemy's mechanism into your life for years. And when that thing is the when when that thing is the mechanism for the enemy to get in your life for years and years and years and years and years, that means that that issue needs to be dealt with in a root manner, in which you're asking God, say, God, I need you to show me and walk me into some places that I may be forgotten about, that I that I that I haven't even dealt with. Sometimes you don't even know what you don't know, and sometimes you need to ask God, I don't even know where this came from. I don't even know how deep it is. I don't know where it began. God, can you help me to find? out where this came from because I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Help me. All of us have patterns of sin we have to deal with and the enemy always utilizes that as a pathway into, he's he's not possessing you but many of us in here under the sound of my voice are under deep demonic oppression. You don't have to be foaming at the mouth. Listen, deep demonic oppression is the way in which the, the, it's, 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 it's the typewriter that the enemy uses to type things into our soul. <laughs> and, and, and now, what's your issue? I've been dealing with porn for a long time. Porn ain't your issue. Porn is just a mechanism that you utilize to deal with something else. See, sometimes you're really You're really depressed and porn is your outlet to deal with your depression, okay? Maybe you you don't believe that God cares about your Sexual passions which really isn't you wanting to be sexual is really you're not satisfied with God So porn is a way for you to feel satisfied in and of yourself not knowing that if you deal with the satisfaction with God issue, you'd stop using porn. And that's for both men and women, by the way, because I'm a pastor. Y'all think men are the only ones dealing with it. And so what begins to happen is your view of the opposite sex or the same sex begins to deteriorate. Because what begins to happen is you begin to identify relationships with immediate gratification and self-gratification, not gospel-centered, giving away of self to another person for their satisfaction. That's the gospel. But see, what ends up happening is now, now what happens is, is you're trying, you got, you got all of these apps on your phone to stop you from using porn. Then you find a way, some way to get to it, why? Because those apps were never meant to merely keep you. They were merely inferential deterrence. You have to deal with the root issue that's making you want to go around every safeguard in your life to risk your your holiness, to risk even your happiness, and to risk your connection with God. You got to go to the issue there. Even in marriage, you have to be careful with that. Because some people think when you get married it's all over, it turns out. Because marriage reminds you of how this, it, it reminds you of how selfish you are. Because God gives you what you've been asking for for a long time, you get it, and then you want something else. <laughs> I wonder shit I have married her? I may have marry him. A really? uh, man, if I had married—see how she looked, man. See how he—see <laughs> how he, he treated his wife. See how they put pictures on Facebook. See that's what—see that's what I. <laughs> Sin, it's sin, it's sin. Listen, the thing you're asking God for to solve your sin is never what is gonna solve it. You have to get to the root of it. You have to get to those root things in your life. I gotta move. That You and I need, and we need stability. Somebody say stability. stability. He said you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. In other words, the ability to apply knowledge to areas of brokenness in our life. He says, preify me with hyssop. He's, do, he's asking for surgery. Hyssop is a branch. That means it scrubs some stuff out. He said, I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. When he talks about this idea of this, points us back to the beauty. It points us ultimately to the beauty in which Jesus dealt fully with our sin. Jesus on the cross deals fully with your sin. Jesus does, listen to me. Jesus does not just wipe away your past sins. He deals with the origins and the root things that cause you to want to sin. The question is, will we pause long enough? You can't watch a video for it. See, most of us want YouTube video transformation. If I can just watch a video, matter of fact, if I look at the blogs, I'm gonna just look at the black letters, you know. (laughs) Why I say that? Because... Most of us want something because some of the surgery that needs to be done is already done because of what Jesus has done for you. Yeah. However, the sanctification and the mortification of the flesh based on 2 Corinthians 9 takes time. Yeah. That means you have to learn how to put sin to death. And guess what happens when you do this? The enemy leaves. Why does he flee? Because he doesn't have a footstool anymore. When you finally get free from the thing in your life that's holding you hostage, the enemy has no foothold in that place in your life. And listen, let me explain something to you. When you walk in these sins, you give him legal authority. Again, that's been crushed at the cross. But when you utilize the legal work of what Christ did on the cross to shame the enemy... Then what happens is, is you, 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 you go over to that area of your life and you take your cross flag and you uproot whatever it was there and you stamp it there and the enemy runs away. Why? Because the enemy can't stand the presence of Christ in that area of your life. And when the presence of Christ is in that area of your life and you're constantly fighting to make sure it's still there because sometimes we uproot it even though we gotten free. <laughs> He says, let me hear joy and gladness. I'm almost done. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Why would he rejoice about crushed bones? He said, turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. (laughs) Um, He's basically saying, God, deal with it because I know you're not afraid to deal with my stuff. So blot it out. It's interesting. um, My wife started watching this show called Dr. Pimple. I don't know if you've ever seen that show. And man, this dude had this, 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 this situation on his forehead. I mean, it was, it was a ministry. And she goes, she puts on some gloves. How, how you doing? I'm looking at him like, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God. And she going in just happy. Hey, come on, lay down for me. She put some stuff around to put her little gloves on. I'm just like, how in the world can she just? And she just pushes it and just ooze and just stuff come out. And she just keeps pushing. She said, uh-oh. And what, 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 what I like about it, she said, uh-oh, she said, we got it. I'm like, we got what? Like, I don't want to see this, joke. you know what I'm saying? But, but, but in those pimples is this little knot. And she says, once I've gotten that out, this, now I can just clean this up. This will shrink back down and go to normal again. But it blows my mind that she's willing, she's seen so much mess. That she's willing to just look at it like, I've seen this before. I want to deal with it. And I'm going to help you get to the root issue so this won't come back ever in your life again. That's what Christ does in the gospel. That's what he does. (laughs) He deals with your sin. And he cleanses it. Then David starts dreaming. He says, create in me a clean heart. I don't even know if this is possible. And renew a right spirit in me. He asked to be saved. How do I know? This is literally, he asked for the new covenant without knowing that he's asking for the new covenant. He said, he said know how this can be dealt with if you transform me from the inside. If you take my mind, my emotions, and my way, if you take my thoughts and my affections, and you take, and you clear all of that away, I'll be brand new. I like the way it says... Here, it says, let the bones that you've broken be rejoiced. Rejoice. Had a friend of mine that was like 6'5 and had a straight leg and an extreme bow leg. And he, he, would, he, would, he would go out and he would, he would walk, but he would be in a lot of pain. I always see how much, you know, he's a big dude. So I was like, man, how's, how's that affecting? The doctor said, listen... This is what I want to do. I want to bring you in. I want to break your knee. He like, "Oh god." He big old dude. He like about to collapse. Like you going to break, is that going to hurt? Yeah, it's going to have some pain to it. And I'll walk you through the recovery. He said but he said, "No, nah, I'd I'd rather me have a dysfunctional walk for the rest of my life than to deal with the pain necessary." Wow, wow. To have my leg broken and repositioned so that I can heal and have a more healthier and effective life. That's many of us. Then I had another friend, he had both of his, he was double bow legged. He used to walk around like this. We used to, you know, kids, we horrible. We made fun of them. You know, kids, we just are horrible, right? But he ended up getting older, getting, get, he, he, he got it done. Had both of his legs broken, that thing was crazy. Then they put, they straightened them out and then he put these stilts on him, and he had to walk on. he had to go through physical therapy, he had to go through a lot. But now, dude can run, he can <laughs> whack out, he can do all kinds of stuff. <laughs> why? Because he let himself get broken. Yeah. Yeah. Today, um, my prayer today is that you would let yourself get broken, why? Because the verse says here, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's how we have to be about our sin. I'm done. Every head bow, every eye close. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as Savior, we would love to walk. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.